Welcome back to the 61st episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, talking about how individuals can be complacent and enable tyranny, how misinformation was suppressed, but also mostly true information was suppressed about a certain disease and a certain remedy to a certain disease. And we'll leave it there for now. And from the Washington Free Beacon talking about Iran stationing warships in the Panama Canal. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump into our daily debate. So my question to you to start us off is, what is tyranny? Does tyranny necessarily have to be a strong authoritative figure from the very top? Could it be a social pressure keeping people in line? Or could it be an oligopoly or an oligarchical society with people at the top who control the rest of the population? There's not a lot of debate here. There is a outlined definition for tyranny. But I'm more asking you, on a personal level, what do you consider tyranny? At what point does the infringement upon a citizen's rights, upon your rights, no matter who it's from, make you question whether you live in a tyrannical society? I think it's an important question, and I think it's a very self-reflective one that should be addressed and people should really think about because they may not realize that the society they live in is a tyranny or they may realize that, wow, it's not as bad as some people are making it out to be. And I think that's an interesting conversation that could be had more nowadays because we hear the word tyranny thrown around a lot, especially back in the 2016 through 2020 era. I wonder why that was. But we've heard this term thrown around a lot, and I think it's an important discussion that needs to be elaborated on. So we're going to jump to our first article from the American Institute of Economic Research, How Individuals Enable Tyranny. And I know what you're probably thinking, wait, hold on, the American Institute of Economic Research, what the heck do they have to say about tyranny? But I think it's an article that really does highlight how being complacent, being silent, it can actually lead to a society that does not reflect values that you may want to pass along to your next kids, nieces and nephews, the next generation of your family. And if you're silent, if you're quiet, and you don't participate in the society, then... How can you shape the future? How can you make sure that the society reflects what you want it to reflect? Or at least some semblance of it. So, let's jump in. So most everyone knows this saying. First they came for blank. I said nothing. And then it goes on and eventually they come for me. But many people have not considered the idea that maybe the people coming for them are the others. The people coming for them are 
actually, you know what? I'll flip it on its head. Some people haven't considered that they are the ones coming for the others in that statement. Quote, it is easy to think that the roots of tyranny lie outside of ourselves, but perhaps we are looking too far away. In Milan Kudera's novel, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, a Czech refugee living in Paris joins a protest march against the 1968 Soviet invasion of their homeland. To her surprise, the refugee could not bring herself to shout with the other protesters and soon left the rally. Her French friends didn't understand her reluctance. The refugee silently mused that her friends could never understand that, quote, behind communism, fascism, behind all occupations and invasions, lurks a more basic, pervasive evil, and that the image of that evil was a parade of people marching by with raised fists and shouting identical symbols in unison, end quote. So what the author's getting at here and what this book really speaks to in modern culture is that both sides or people can be possessed and both sides of the aisle right now, they really do believe that their side is right, that they have the moral high ground and that they are simply standing up for what is right and true. But the true danger is when you believe you are so right that there cannot be opposition to your view. And trust me, both sides are guilty of this currently. If you look at the right, they believe that some of their policies that they're trying to get taken out of schools or policies they're trying to implement in schools, they believe that they are morally justified to interfere with the education of our children and ensure certain values are being propagated, while the left believes that at the same time there are certain values that kids need to learn in these schools and they're projecting their values onto them as well. And I'm not saying either side is right or wrong. What I'm saying is both sides believe that they are so right that they are willing to call the other side groomers, perchance, or they're willing to call the other side Christian nationalists, that's one of the terms I've heard thrown out over some of this, or domestic terrorists is the famous example from the DOJ investigation. So when you really take a step back and you understand that just because you believe that something is right does not give you the moral high ground and therefore does not give you the right or at least you should not presume that the other side is inherently wrong and therefore inherently evil. And let's be clear, I think certain policy steps, I think certain things are terrible for the kids in these schools. I think the fact that both sides are fighting over them does not help them whatsoever. But at the end of the day, you have to sit back and be understanding. You have to try to listen. And if they can't be reasoned with, then you take a legislative route. You do not take the activist route of trying to suppress them in public. If you can't ration with them in public, if you can't reason with them in public, then you go the legislative route. You do not create a social castigation, so to speak. And that's what the author really gets at here. He's not necessarily looking at a governmental tyranny. He's not looking at a legislative tyranny or the power of the government to come in and really 
suppress the lives of certain people. What he's looking at is the idea that social tyranny is even more dangerous. And we cannot simply castigate, we can't throw people to the wolves. We can't shoot them out of society just because they don't agree with us. Because at the end of the day, if you really want to take a step back, maybe in 30 years the government does push too far, and that person could have helped you. And let's be clear, this is not the author saying this one. This is my example, that imagine the government does become tyrannical in 30 years, and though you and your neighbor that you threw out because you disagreed with them at the time, maybe you two would have been able to agree, come together, and fight back against actual tyranny. And I know that's a, a big stretch, but the point is, just because you don't agree on one thing doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong or disagree on everything else. And why should a person be judged for one belief that they have? Why should they be castigated, thrown out for one belief that they hold that you disagree with? That is tyranny. And I think that's extremely dangerous. John Stuart Mill points out tyranny has different forms. It comes in the form from a place of authority, but also from society and those who unite to defend their truth. But more accurately, it's their opinions, beliefs, and emotions that they can't necessarily let go of, that they hold so true to themselves that they can't distinguish them from fact, from truth. And it's extremely dangerous when you let your emotions rule you, when you let a particular issue guide how you interact with people in the world. And the danger that Mill is really pointing out here is not only when you do it, but when you find like-minded people that truly believe what they're saying is a moral right, is an objective truth, and not an emotional appeal, or not an opinion and a belief. And then they say, okay, well, anybody that opposes us is obviously evil. They are obviously the devil incarnate because they disagree with what we know to be true. And then the dominoes fall from there. Then over time, you may have groups marching in lockstep, saying the exact same phrase, raising their fists, uniting against power. And then look, it goes back to that first example we were given of people marching in the streets in unison, shouting the same thing, believing that their cause is righteous, their cause is true, and led to thousands upon thousands of deaths. Now, am I making a direct connection between some political issues and communists and fascists taking over in Europe? Yes, I am making direct connections. And is that a stretch? Yes, a little bit. But you see how this can devolve quickly when you don't see the other side as a human, when you don't see them as a person worth defending, worth listening to, worth hearing out. And that is what I find extremely appalling in today's society. Very often, very too often, we don't even listen to the other side because we have already made up our mind. And I know I've talked about this a thousand times, and I know this isn't a new conversation. It's just a new angle on the conversation. It's saying no longer think about it as, oh, in order to have a harmonious society, we need to listen to one another. It's no, in order to not devolve into tyranny, to ensure that we are not prosecuting our free brothers and sisters here in the United States in the future, we need to 
be willing to re-examine our biases and really listen to other people and understand their point of view. Because even if you don't necessarily agree, they may be able to add something to the conversation that others may not have. They may not have the same experience. They may not have the same insight. And that insight could be beneficial in the future. Quote, Mill describes the tendency of society to impose by other means than civil penalties, its own ideas and practices as rules of conduct on those who descend from them. Mill counseled an individual independence protected from encroachment from the tyranny of the majority is a, as indispensable to a good condition of human affairs to protection against political depotism. The tyranny of social mandates, Mill warned, can be more formidable than many kinds of political oppression, since it leaves fewer means of escape, penetrating much more deeply into the details of life and enslaving the soul itself. So this type of tyranny can be the most devastating, causing people to silence themselves because they don't want to upset the norms. They don't want to hurt other people. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted. So they're silent. Is that a society you want to live in, that you keep your true opinions quiet and you go home to your wife and kids and you just talk about them there? And then when you go out in public, you're a completely different person. It sounds like a fake social media age that we live in, honestly. And it's extremely dangerous because it leads to people having a false perception of not only reality, but of what the consensus of the population is. And how can a government truly govern? How can the government have the consent of the people if the people aren't truly saying their opinions, are really telling the people that they're electing what they want, or at least they may say it at the ballot box, but then they're not willing to come out and say it to their congressmen, say it in society, to really speak to what they want done. How can those legislators fully enact what their constituents want if they're not willing to stand up and say that I have these values and I believe that we should be doing this? If they're just sitting there quietly, how could anybody ever know? And let me ask you a question. If we are too afraid to speak our minds, to have a discourse, how do we progress? How do we not become stagnant? How do we become better? And lastly, how do we evolve? I'll leave you with that one on this first article. Yes, I know I probably sounded a lot more stiff than I normally do, but I actually enjoyed saying it that way. I felt like I was... Reading, I felt like I was giving more of a speech than just a podcast segment. And some people may not like that, but I felt very comfortable doing it that one. But we'll probably switch it up as we move on. I just thought that was a very serious topic and it needed a very specific air when speaking about it. Oh, well, if you heard that, that was that was Siri doing her thing. Uh, apparently she's listening to everything I'm saying, which is a little bit scary. But it does lead into this next article about big tech. Uh, this one comes from the Daily Signal. Not just inf- misinformation. In emails to the White House, Facebook admits suppressing often true content on COVID-19 vaccines. So speaking about not being willing, or in this case, not being able to spread different or contrarian ideas, 
This is just another scary, in my opinion, aspect of our society. Not only do people fear speaking out, those willing to speak out and spread their opinion become suppressed. Once again, this is not a left-right issue. I personally know people from both sides who had questions about the vaccine. I know Democrats, Republicans, both sides. There were people I know that were hesitant, that wanted more information. And this article points out that Facebook was suppressing information that could have helped these people make decisions. Now, at the end of the day, if you were to ask the White House, they would say, it is increasing vaccine hesitancy. And I'm not disclaiming, I'm not saying that's not true. That may be true. Some of this content may have been causing vaccine hesitancy. But at the end of the day, in a free society, the flow of information is crucial. And people can make their own decisions. If they don't want to take the vaccine, they do not have to. The Biden administration, or more accurately, people behind the scenes in the Biden administration, like one of the officials we'll speak about here shortly, would greatly disagree, saying, no, 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 we need everybody to take the vaccine. There, there cannot be vaccine hesitancy. People cannot question the vaccine. They need to take it. It's for public health. It's for the security of the nation. We want to ensure that our populace is healthy. And maybe, the, let's be clear, he never says that here, but I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I feel like he may be a good man. I have no idea for sure, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, saying he really believes and he really wants the people to be healthy and to ensure that people don't die from a disease that could possibly be lessened, the effects at least, or the spread could be lessened by this vaccine. So, you know, of course, they believe, this person especially believes, that they have the moral high ground. But then they use their power in the White House to force down a mandate onto Facebook, or at least to lightly suggest it, and to force their opinion onto others. And this is where the tyranny comes in to full form. Rather than saying, I really want everybody to be less hesitant. I'm going to put out information on my Facebook that says, this is why you should take the vaccine. This is the studies that show it is safe for kids and other people. Rather than doing that, he's trying to wield a hammer telling Facebook that you're not suppressing this content enough. And that is the dangerous, or the most dangerous thing, in my opinion. He can't accept that other people don't want to take the vaccine, that they may be hesitant. And he's trying to force them to, or at least change the information they're getting to change their mind and essentially make them make the right decision in his mind. Can you see the connections here? Can you see the through threads between the first article and the second article and why I set them up the way I did? Why I had this one second? Because if we had led with this, it would be an amazing uh, true story that really highlights the power of Facebook and the collusion between the White House and Facebook. But the through threads, the connections between people believing that they're 100% correct, that there is no wrong, and then willing to use the power of government in a tyrannical fashion, it, it really highlights how once a thought process, a perspective is held so true and it's backed by a large group of people, and then you have somebody in power in the government who can wield power to ensure that that vision of the group 
is implemented, that's how it turns from social tyranny into government tyranny. And I think it's a very important distinction. But that's enough connections and, oh, look at how good I am at connecting stories. Yeah, we can get over the self-praise. Let's jump in to this quote from the article. Quote, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey released documents earlier this week. Bailey obtained them through a court case, Missouri v. Biden, alleging that some of President Joe Biden's top officials, quote, colluded with big tech social media companies to violate Americans' rights to free speech under the First Amendment. In an email to the White House dated March 21, 2021, a Facebook staff member discussed, quote, levers of tackling vaccine hesitancy content, end quote, with Andrew Slivet, a senior advisor on Biden's COVID-19 response team, and Rob Flantery, White House Digital uh, Director of Digital Security. Quote, you also asked about our levers for reducing virality of vaccine hesitancy content, wrote the Facebook staffer whose identity was redacted. Quote, as you know, in addition to removing vaccine misinformation, we've been focusing on reducing the variety of content discouraging vaccines that does not contain actionable information. This is often true content, which we allow at the post level because it is important for people to be able to discuss both their personal experiences and concerns about the vaccine, but can be framed also as sensational, alarmist, or shocking, end quote. And while you could view Facebook's act as admirable, trying to stop hesitancy of the vaccines, trying to protect people from information that could do them harm. The question then needs to be raised, is that an aspect of a free society? That people are allowed to make less than optimal decisions? At the end of the day, in a free society, uh, the question is, are you allowed to do stupid things? Are you allowed to do things that are not necessarily in your best interest? And then the argument would devolve from there, saying, well, this goes beyond your best interest. It goes to the interests of the society. But my question to you is, do you have to sacrifice your individual freedoms in order to aid the society? In a truly free society, this is not the case. But in the worldview of certain people, yes, you must sacrifice your own individual freedom, your own individual identity in order to support the society, the collective. And I think this is a very interesting distinction that needs to be made here. Because if your worldview is that the society, that at the end of the day, the American society, the nation as a whole, is more important than a person's individual autonomy, then of course you're going to say that we can't allow this information to spread. We cannot allow people to spread information that's going to not only hurt individuals, but then in turn allow COVID to stay around a little bit longer, ensure that it's more likely to spread among unvaccinated people, that it's going to possibly mutate because there are people that have the vaccine, people that don't. So once the people who have not taken the vaccine, since they're the spreaders, once they spread it to the people that do have the vaccine, maybe the virus mutates in order to actually be effective and survive in that new host. So the framing, the perspective of which you view a free society and a society that's ideal 
it really changes the way that you look at this issue. And I think that's something that needs to be highlighted. I would say that I'm a person who believes that your freedoms should, at the end of the day, come above anybody else's. And when I say that, I'm not saying that your freedom should suppress other people's freedom, but the individual's freedom, the ability for a person to make terrible decisions, that is their decision. It should not be regulated. It should not be controlled by the government or anybody working with the government or even private companies because that's a step too far as well. So I think that that's an important thing that we need to point out, that your worldview really does affect how you think about this issue. The emails continued to fly back and forth between Flannery and the social media companies with them trying to placate his wants and him criticizing them for seeing any type of information that he, when he logged into his Facebook, that he found unfavorable. And this really highlights an issue with power coupled with an intense belief that you are right. In Flannery's case, he would, it's not acceptable that a thing is not to his loving, to not to his liking, that the companies are not being absolutely compliant. In his mind, no one should see this content. It should not be allowed to still exist. And therefore, social media companies, when he still sees it, when he logs in on his Facebook and he still sees some of this content, social media companies are not doing their job correctly. Quote, since we've been on the phone, the top post about vaccines today is Tucker Carlson saying they don't work, Flattery wrote. Yesterday was Tommy Loren saying she wouldn't take one. This is exactly why I want to know what reduction actually looks like. If reduction means pumping our most vaccine-hesitant audience with Tucker Carlson saying it doesn't work, then I'm not sure this is reduction, end quote. And that really shows his mindset there, and it really speaks to what I was just talking about. But we can get off all this vaccine hesitancy stuff. We can get off all this tyranny stuff, or sorry, tyranny for some of you more fancy people out there. And we can jump to our last international article. This one comes from the Washington Free Beacon. Iran to station warships in Panama Canal. Quote, Iran's Navy is set to station warships for the first time in the Panama Canal a critical trade route in America's backyard that has never before seen an Iranian military presence. Rear Admiral Shuraham Irani, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name, the commander of Iran's Navy, said on Wednesday that his forces will establish a presence in the Panama Canal later this year, marking the first time Iran's military has entered the Pacific Ocean, end quote. You know, this is just another attempt to strengthen Iran's connection in the region and to show the U.S. that they're, they're willing to push back a little bit. Recently, Iran has been back backing President Maduro in Venezuela, building connections with Colombia as well as Nicaragua. The Panama Canal, of course, is of great strategic but also symbolic importance to the United States. Symbolically and logistically, it facilitates the free flow of trade throughout the region. And, you know, though this is mainly a public appearance play by Iran, you know, it shouldn't be taken too lightly. With the 
growing ties between China, Iran, and Russia, and some South American nations, this shows how America's sphere of influence is actively shrinking. And in my opinion, that is of some concern. We're letting our enemies make footholds. And yes, I say enemies. We're letting our strategic rivals have footholds in our backyard. Then again, we have the same thing. We have the EU right on the doorstep of Russia. We have Taiwan, Japan, India, Australia, right there with China. So a realist would say the balance of power insists that it happens here in the United States, but it really shows the degrading of the hegemony that the United States has had for a good few years now. And it should concern those who believe that the U.S. is still the greatest nation on the earth because it does show a little bit of weakness. It kind of reminds me of Britain's fall throughout the 1950s to 1970s. And to be clear, I don't think we're quite there yet. But a lot of evidence is building up that it is no longer a unipolar world. And if the U.S. wants to come back on top, we may have to be a little bit more, how should I put it, strong man on the world stage and really dictate our terms. Is that the right thing to do? I have no idea. I am not a national security expert. I have not studied the South American region enough to truly understand the geopolitics there. But I think it's something that should be considered and something that you should keep in mind as an everyday citizen. Quote, it is likely Iran sees its presence in Latin America as a means to bolster and protect its interests in countries like Venezuela, where Iran has been helping Maduro repair his country's depleted oil refineries. The two rogue regimes signed a 20-year cooperation plan in June 2022 when hardline Iranian President Reem Rashish was in the country for the meeting with Maduro. Latin America dictatorships have also served as a hub for Iran to evade U.S. sanctions and to make arms deals. Hezbollah, the Iranian-controlled terror group, has also has a presence in Latin America that has been gaining ground for years. Hezbollah militants were known to travel freely in Venezuela and cross the relatively lawless tri-border area that includes Brazil, Paraguay, and Argentina, end quote. So though America likes to pretend it has the most influence in the Western Hemisphere, this is another chipping away at this illusion. America is a large, if not the largest, export destination for a lot of these countries. But other countries like China have made inroads, becoming one of the, those countries' the largest importers, meaning that they import a lot of goods from China. And China and their allies are gaining an economic foothold. The question is, will they be able to leverage it and tear away these countries from the United States in the future? We'll see. I think it's an interesting question, especially with the amount of lithium that they produce and China being one of the largest importers of lithium around the world and one of the largest producers of batteries. It also adds another economic aspect that we need to think about. I think it's an interesting question. And only time will tell, unfortunately. We, we can make all the projections we want, but for all we know, another COVID-19 disease could come out of a random country and cripple supply chains again, and China could be back on its butt. The U.S. could be back on its butt. We don't know. So only time will tell. But these are the current political realities and something you should keep in mind as you read through the news and 
maybe just forget. If you don't really care about Iran going to the Panama Canal, you see it as just a strongman move, sure, you can forget about it. But I think it's important to at least point out. But to get away from all this negative stuff, let's jump into our daily delight. This one comes from the Dodo. Corgi brings baby brother the funniest things in hopes of winning him over. The bond held between siblings is a sacred one and is often built over years, but sometimes it can be immediate. Quote, at first, Lilo greeted her brother with a ton of kisses, as she's known to do with every person she meets. One day, when Kyo found a ball in Koa's bouncer and Lilo whining at her baby brother, but Kyo, being a brand new baby, uh, and to be honest, doesn't necessarily really understand the concept of playing fetch, and much less has the ability to actually throw the ball for Lilo to retrieve it. So I don't know if Keo, the, the newborn baby, I'll keep saying it, really understood what Lilo was getting at. Quote, before long, Lilo had introduced her brother to every toy in her collection. Then she decided to teach him that anything could be a toy if he wanted it to be. One top of, on top of bringing over some of her favorite stuffies, Lilo placed things like toilet paper rolls and her parents' slippers on top of Koa. And yes, I, I know, this little guy, Lilo, is the cutest thing in the world and is really teaching a lesson, as the article points out, about playtime and how to really enjoy yourselves. And that's what I want you to walk away from this article. You can do the goofiest things, you can play with the most random things, and at the end of the day, as long as you're satisfied with yourself, you're having a good time, you're with people you love, everything's going to be okay, no matter how negative the news is that I read to you today. Uh, so if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos or read any of today's articles, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button. Down there is also the Twitter handle, at Your Daily Flip, where I post the link on Monday, Wednesday, Friday to the podcast. You can just click on it, come straight here, rather than having to go search through YouTube. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.